that comes with difficulties in life, a situation or, or, or a moment when, when you have to either accept it for what it is and focus on the, 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 the positives in the situation or you, you carry on thinking, well, it's me. And, and inevitably that's, that's not a recipe for happiness. Welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life, conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical, and joyful. Today's show is titled Parenting Hard Mode. Parenting is hard enough as it is, but what about those times when life throws you a massive curveball or a number of massive curveballs? I'm your host, Peter Holmes, and today I'm joined by Gabe and Jovina James. Jovina and Gabe have been medical doctors now for about 10 years, married for nearly seven years, and parents for what they describe as one million sleepless nights, which is pretty universal amongst parenting. They live and work in Queensland, and which is why they're claiming to be the only people wearing t-shirts in this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It's not true. I'm wearing t-shirt. The fact that I have a jumper over it as well is notwithstanding. (laughs) Not quite a t-shirt right right today, but... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little bit chilly for Queensland yeah. today, yeah. Oh, and what does chilly mean in Queensland? Uh, top of 24. It's oh, ghastly. Yeah. Just ghastly, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, I was complaining to a Melbourneite recently that uh, we got down below 10 and they were just mocking me because they had an overnight low um, of two, I think, or something like that in Melbourne. Mm. Tragic for them. <laughs> You're not a Victorian gets... anymore, are you? <laughs> well, I haven't been a big Victorian for over 20 years now, so I just wow. I go back and I usually take one jumper and I forget completely how bad it is down there before we get started that's just a reminder that if you like the show you should subscribe on your podcast app and that way you won't miss an episode we should open up by saying that jovina and gabe have four children max zelly louis all with them on earth and teddy who is in heaven which gives us an indication that not everything has gone as smoothly as one would hope perhaps uh if you just give us a brief introduction to this your general circumstances there Sure. So um, we have Max, who's nearly six, actually, started school this year, unbelievably. Wow. We, uh, 18 months, when Max was 18 months old, we had a little boy called Theodore or Teddy. Um, and when he was eight months old, he um, went to heaven in his sleep. So he has been our advocate in heaven since then. He's um, on the other side of the veil. We have Zelly, who's nearly three and is a little ray of sunshine. <laughs> and we now have Louis, who's 13 months old and has just found his voice. Oh. Likes to yell. Right. Which is wonderful, which is I'm actually delighted because he would, he really wasn't using his voice until recently. So it's a great developmental stage. <laughs> right. And it, um, not only uh, have uh, you had the experience of um, – Teddy are going to heaven, but uh, some there's been some challenges with the others or, or one or two of the others. Yeah, so we have um, two of our kids have um, a muscle disorder, which I guess in simple terms mean they have a lot of difficulty with their day-to-day movement. And uh, in the case of Louis, he's also had some other kind of related issues. So he's, he's recently had some surgery for a, uh, a palate repair. Um, and also to kind of try and fix his ears, which were, were not working. So those things are, yeah, they've been additional little challenges along the way and will continue to be down the track for us. It's uh, worth saying from the outset, before we get into this kind of hard mode idea, 
that all parenting is hard. Uh, all parenting takes near constant attention, hard work, self-sacrificing love. There are financial constraints, but those financial constraints are not the biggest deal. Parenting is hard enough whenever all the circumstances are perfect, when you have perfect parents and perfect in-laws and perfect financial security and you've got a happy and stable marriage. So we're not talking about hard mode parenting as if every other parenting is easy, but just simply saying that there are some circumstances which really push and um, uh, without, I'm, I'm certainly nowhere near the circumstances of um, uh, the Jameses, but uh, our own young fellow, Albert, had uh, months and months in ICU and has had open heart surgery and throat surgery and stomach surgery uh, and thankfully now has come through in flying colours and is as healthy as a young boy with Down syndrome uh, can hope to be. He's also very, very loud. And we keep reminding ourselves that that's a blessing every time he yells. <laughs> like It's a blessing that he can talk. And it's a blessing that he demands a book every single minute of the day or a swing or whatever else is taking his fancy. But it has to be said that the constancy of these situations is trying. In some respects, the big moments, you kind of you were people rallied around us in the big moments people rallied around us and, and we felt you know the surge of spiritual support and we could reach for extraordinary grace at that time um but i guess i'll put it to you ha have you found the big moments or the or the ongoing grind to be harder in some respects i i certainly think the latter and this is not to um denigrate any of our family or friends who've been amazing throughout our um journey's parents but certainly there are there are days on end where, you know, no one actually does check in on you and that's that's fine. You know, they've got their lives to live but you do feel, <laughs> particularly in these times, like perhaps you are in this all alone um, mm. and perhaps nobody really does care and, that, you know, I, I think in my true self I know that that's not true. Uh, but you're right, there are those big moments where you just feel that wave of grace pulling you through and then there's the what I call the quicksand where you're kind of just, just struggling to... Stay yeah. on top of it all, yeah. And in some respects, it's it's you know it's irrational, is because I'm sitting here going, oh, nobody else wants to help me. But realistically, they can't come into my house and do the things I'm, you know, that I need to do. And you know, they can't really be there all that time. And it's, but it's just the feeling of being alone. And some of it though seems to be about people not being able to have the same perspective because they simply don't understand what's going on. Hmm. Is that would you say that's a fair comment? Yeah, I, I think the I, there's a few things I'd like to say about that, but the 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 reality is the old saying of it takes a village to raise a child is as true as ever. And obviously, many of us don't have that village structure around us. I mean, certainly we're um, a thousand kilometers from any other family member, and as amazing as they are, uh, I think even if we were nearby, it would still be difficult for them to provide us with a lot of assistance and we at times have been forced to reach out because th there's no other way to to cope um Jove is much better at it than I am thank god because <laughs> I'd I'd probably um you know if I was doing this on my own certainly would be feeling very very isolated and and probably wouldn't be brave enough to knock on a neighbor's door I remember my mum growing up I was one of 10 um one of her great qualities is she uh, had no shame in in asking for help. Um, she, I think, it was just a survival instinct she developed, uh, and she would happily, if she was driving along, 
with a car full of kids and, and needed something, she would literally pull over and knock on someone's front door and ask them, um, yeah. which is That's extraordinary. Mm. It's extraordinary, isn't it? I mean, these day, this day and age, there's almost a kind of a, we keep telling ourselves that we're better at asking for help and acknowledging vulnerability. Mm. We're actually more and more isolated and we tend to, to want to do things by ourselves a, a lot more. Mm. I wonder, I mean, there was a moment for me where my, where my pride sort of had to take a dive. Mm. I remember coming home. This was one moment we came home and we'd been, we realized we'd been keeping track of everybody who helped us to this point. And we'd been, uh, you know, keeping a tally of who had given us meals and everything. So we, we had this illusion we were going to thank them all at the end of it. <laughs> and we came home to find seven lasagnas packed up um, at our front door. And we had no idea who they were from. And Susie and Susie broke down and cried. And I, I was very teary as well, thinking there's just no way we can pay back everybody who's helped us. And we just had to sit and take it. We just had to take the help. And it was a it was a moment of just finally giving in, and and it, I realised that it was actually my pride stopping me from ha- wanting that sort of help, that mm-hmm. even asking for it, and in a sense, God had to break that down in me before mm-hmm. I could receive the help that other people were asking mm-hmm. to give. Yeah, and getting back to the other point you made, Peter, about people perhaps not understanding is I've often reflected uh, on my, I guess, growth. Um, personally in, in this regard and, and certainly when I was um, single I look back on those times when you know my older brother had young children or friends around me and I, I didn't even think to offer help a lot of the time I, I had no understanding of where they were at and probably the same could be said of when we had one child I think we still although there were definitely challenges it's obviously it goes up uh, somewhat not massively I think with additional kids and I, I like your point about your pride having to take a real tumble, Peter, because I feel like that is not one a one <laughs> once and for, for all kind of event for me. No. I think that's an no, no, ongoing no. <laughs> with every new struggle. It's like, oh, I yes, thank you. I will have your help, please. That's yes, right. Even more. Yes, my wife keeps telling me to stop praying for humility because God seems hard of hearing. <laughs> and keeps giving us humiliation. So. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So it's um, it's look. I get you get what you need in some respects. I mean, I want to get into talking about the long, slow slog and the nature of that in a minute. But I do want to talk about the the trite sayings that people offer. Now, almost everybody who talked to us uh, during difficult times and even now, absolutely means well and it has a genuine heart for t- wanting to help. But there's a kind of a compulsion in in humans that they have to say something and they, they want to be seen to say something useful or wise or something. But in fact, I don't know, I there's some circumstances where I thought there's nothing you can say that's gonna be good. You know, it's not gonna help. And and maybe just shutting up as a and being there is a better idea. Um It's really hard for know. people to do though. I know that myself. I can't shut so up. So much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean Equally, though, Peter, it's hard for people to say something a lot of the time. I mean, I I remember after we lost Teddy, he passed away, you know, some some time or somewhere between our home and the hospital in the sense he he was trying to be resuscitated. And um, I was at work when when this all unfolded, so I kind of stayed at the hospital. 
waiting for the ambulance. Waiting for the ambulance. And so the, the entire hospital knew virtually about what had gone on. I'd, I'd worked there for some time. And I think the thing that really struck me in the months that followed that was how few of my colleagues said anything at all. Um, a lot of the nurses and midwives I worked with were very, very good. They, they, uh, you know, the ones that I knew a little bit better almost universally tried to at least say something uh, to acknowledge my situation. Um, my medical colleagues, however, I think of the probably 40 or 50 doctors I knew there, probably two or three actually said anything at all. Uh, two came to visit my house, for which I'm, I'm very grateful um, in the weeks that followed, but but on going back to work a few weeks later, I think there might have been two or three, and that was quite hard because I guess even if they'd said uh, something that was not helpful, at least they would have been acknowledging that you know I was still in a, a bit of a challenging place, and yeah, you can't see that on the surface, you know, but they probably would have had some idea if they they'd had any any real empathy. Um, yeah. And I, it would have really helped me at times for them to kind of say, oh, how are you going? Kind of with that, just yeah. that knowing kind of look. Something yeah, as simple as that. It's, it, it's a good point. I mean, it's it's an interesting point you make that sometimes it's better to have a go and stuff it up, provided you're prepared to be corrected or, or to, to take on board that maybe that wasn't the best thing to say. Well, I, I think the trouble, <laughs> Gabe's a very measured man. I am a tiger at times and erratic and I think sometimes you could one day you could say to me something that I would find perfectly helpful and the next day that same thing would be just horrible why would you say that why would you ask me if I knew about the condition before he was born or why would you say this or um and so I've come to the conclusion that for me and I tell this to people that the probably the best thing you can uh, the two things you can safely say to me are how are you going or I'm here and um other than that I'm sorry if I react or give you a dirty look it's it's just my internal workings. Yep. Yep. That's a fair call. And I think, though, most people I've encountered accept that I'm in those sort of circumstances that I'm not in a good place and that something that comes back from me is not to be taken personally. I, most people have taken it that way. And the ones who don't aren't really, isn't really about them trying to comfort you. They're just trying to <laughs> sound good themselves. But the hard part has been the constant low, long slog afterwards. Like most people, um, after a difficult time in parenting or after a difficult circumstance in particular, or when they first hear about a diagnosis or something that's ongoing, there's a lot of sympathy. Uh, there's a lot of people struggling to, to try and be helpful in some way. But, you know, when you're into your second and third year and you're looking ahead, and particularly when you're wondering things like, how does I make this as normal as possible and normal in inverted commas, whatever that means? Or what is what is reasonable to hope for? I mean, my son's making a lot of noise. He's starting to differentiate sounds, but there's no actual guarantee he ever says anything to us, like speaks out loud to us in words. Uh, what's reasonable to hope for? And these aren't, aren't questions which are necessarily asked consciously by most other parents. So I... That kind of feeling, like that, it's hard to express and get and get. If you were looking for sympathy, where would you get it from? That kind of thing. Would you say that's a fair assessment? Yeah, I think um, when our youngest was born, someone said to me, "It's really stuck with me." And at the time, it wasn't that helpful, but she said, "It's okay to grieve." And I turned to her and I said, "I 
I don't know what I'm grieving for right now. He can't breastfeed. That's the big thing. But I've realised that along the way there's lots of little griefs that you bear and it might be realising he'll never walk or it could be he doesn't have any friends. Um, right. Lots yeah. of little griefs um, that take a toll, I think. Mm. Yeah, I, it's a, uh, I almost don't know what to say really. Um, it's, uh, yeah, there's there's... There is definitely those moments, um, but I, I mean, I, there, there are the thing that I look to day to day is really the the example of um, people around me, and certainly Jovi obviously is is the the greatest example for me. She's doing most of the the caring parenting, and so the fact that she kind of moves forward every day and, and, you know, makes those medical appointments and does that physio and um, leads the way is certainly my greatest inspiration. And so in, I, I guess those those moments where I, I kind of have looked at um, certainly the youngest who, who's, you know, got a lot of, lot of things going on, I I just put it in God's hands and, and hope for, the best possible outcome, which, which to be honest, is 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 constantly surprising us. You know, the, the certainly with Max, that's been the case. He, um, yes. we didn't know whether he would walk when he was kind of nine, ten, twelve months old. Right. We didn't know how functional he would be, but he he is at school now, and you know, he he finds it hard to carry his school bag and and do things like that, and he he can't really play sport, but he gets into things and. Um, is it the case that when you look back, you can see how far you've come, whereas each day you're looking at what's the difficulty today, what's, mm. what's the struggle today, what's the what's the hope we have today, perhaps? Absolutely, yeah. And it, it, you might also say that we have the perhaps the benefit of of being exposed to this in other ways. I, I've got a brother with Down syndrome, uh, so I kind of saw his development over over a number of years and and have some understanding of uh, the beauty of of the outcome when you make that early effort. Um, Jovi, I think, has an even stronger innate understanding of how putting in a bit of effort day-to-day now when, the, you know, your child has no expectation of you helping them. They just want to be fed and kept warm. But <laughs> we, we really some days have to really push um, push the kids. You know, we, we do uh, – yep. it's, it's a big effort to get Max to do physiotherapy Um we we put splints on Louis every night because he has lots of joint contractures um, yep. and he doesn't like it and he wakes up a lot, which means we get up a lot. Mostly, Joe <laughs> gets up a lot. Um, <laughs> so that, those things are all they're all really hard, and I, you know, I mean, they're just part of life now. Um, and you know, I I could think to myself, well, if if my child didn't have this, it, it wouldn't be a, a problem. But more than likely. That have other challenges, and certainly I, I don't know a single parent, even with normal children, whatever that means, that yeah. doesn't have a load of, of issues. And in some respects, the more the more normal a child is, the more intelligent and talented that they are. The um, the the, in, the there's a kind of a whole other level of challenges that come comes with that. So there are. Yeah, we've had. Um, I look. I just want to say, go back, wind back a bit. There, um, you may recall that. It was, we actually called you to and asked you to come and see us when Albert was first born. And your very ordinary reflection on what it was like to grow up with a brother with Down syndrome 
helped us a great deal in just mentally looking forward with Albert. Um, uh, I can't speak highly enough of that intervention. And the what I wanted to go forward from there and say some of the hope that came from that was simply looking at the current situation and looking forward. What is possible for our child? What what can we give with love? But I have to say that looking at Albert, that's our youngest boy, and just feeling that intense burning desire to have the best for him and hurt when he can't be the best that I want for him has made me realize I feel this of all my children. And it's just that when it's when the lack is there, I feel it much more powerfully and strongly. And I realized it's actually awakened me to the love that I have for all the people around me, which normally just kind of ticks along in the background because I see them succeed and I see them flourish and I see them do their various things. But when it when they're not flourishing, in, in a sense, it makes me much more aware and it and awakens a kind of a power of the deep love of a parent in me and makes me go, whatever love I can possibly feel, however strong this is right now, it's only still only a shadow of what God cares for Albert. And it, just the awe that that inspires me is, is astounding. I should I shouldn't just rant about that. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's um. I, I absolutely and and again I I didn't appreciate this with with my brother Tom, but with my own children, the the things we take for granted are really incredible. Really are, and and I I thank God for things every day now that I never even considered in the past. Um, the little wins, you know. I last week had a had a, a fall off a, a, a motorized device on my way to work couldn't couldn't walk um it's you know and then i i look honestly kind of pushing through that the last kind of week or two the pain and things has i think been a lot easier knowing that i've got a son that that has a lot of difficulty with um with with walking so by it, it's one little example um mm. but but honestly there are so many so many things that we take for granted that um i appreciate so much more now Yes, and I have to say, having become somewhat of a quasi-expert in development and the steps that I am in awe of all the things that I have taken for granted with Zelly's growth and, and every other child that I see in my, in my work when I'm working, um, just the number of little steps that it takes for a child to transfer an object from one hand to another, like the, the little awarenesses along the way and it's just phenomenal. So, you know... Our, one of our therapists will tell us, "Oh, he needs to learn to put just just to drop an object in in something else," and and so that's what we will do for weeks. And and somehow that is such a basic <laughs> step for all these other things to build on. I I really am in awe, and I have learnt so much, and I will never take anything for granted when it comes to a child's development ever again. Mm. It is. What about? Let's get down to what actually helped. So you mentioned a couple of things in our conversation. Uh, up until now about people's comments that may or not have really rang true at the time but have come if you like they've come back and you've remembered them like the the comment you made about um give yourself space to grieve or it's it's okay to grieve one of the things that i worried about is that grieving might be taken as someone by someone as a kind of a a regret that i had albert in the first place you know what i mean like that someone might say 
I are you you wishing that you didn't have him kind of thing. Whereas it's not that at all. It's a grief no. over the flourishing of my own child. But I was always a little bit hesitant in sharing my angst and my struggle with people because I didn't want to put them off the idea of caring for a, a, a child. That's mm. yeah, that's very true. I think, and it's it's hard to strike a balance. I think, particularly, I I have found when talk we had we, where we were when we lost Teddy was a place in Australia where we didn't really have any friends who were like-minded in terms of the faith. And so I, um, my instinct has been to just go out and forge friendships no matter what because I need a community. I, I'm a, just, I cannot cope without at least having people around um, who understand me, maybe 10%. That doesn't have to be 80%. But um, anyway, so I think I'm, I'm, I'm always quite conscious about how I speak about raising a child who doesn't fit the normal mold around those people because there's a very different mindset in terms of yeah. um, the child is a gift. I mean, I oh, know actually I think that is universal that a child is a gift but what how, how much of the gift do we accept or what kind of gifts will we accept and is there a vetting process for the gift? You know, anyway, mm-hmm. the analogy breaks down but mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. I agree. I think there is a it's hard to always speak completely candidly in every situation mm. about the struggle. Yeah. There's a certain amount of trust needed, isn't there, that, that the person you're talking to accepts that you believe your child is a gift from God and that, that and that you only ever want the best and your frustration is with the, the lack of flourishing and, and your success in helping them flourish rather than anything else. You need someone of that nature to, to talk to, to be able to support you and, and continue to reaffirm the nature of the gift. Mm. But what you don't want is cliches. Mm. You know, you don't want someone to trot out the, the the normal kind of, well, God works all good things, you know, things for good. Well, you know what? Some of the things suck, you know, <laughs> and they can't be called good. They just, no, mm. you may not say that's okay. That sucks. That's not good. That's it's not a not a happy thing. Uh, some things may happen in God's permissive will, but God didn't do this to my child. You know, mm. This is not something that happens to someone. Um, uh, the question is: is what what good can be brought out of this bad? Yeah, I, I I sometimes reflect on this from a I guess a professional perspective, in that I deal with uh, couples that uh, have been given a, a, a bad diagnosis or, or prognosis for a child they're carrying, and that. Obviously, has um, let's say a personal element to it for me. So um, it's very, it's actually quite hard for me sometimes uh, to to find the balance between saying things that I think will be helpful, realizing that a lot of uh, other doctors will be saying things that probably don't give them much hope, um, but also trying to be realistic about the challenges they're facing and not knowing often what their view on life is and so so a lot of times those conversations um when i'm kind of on, on the the other side of the the uh situation are trying to find out what their mindset is you know how, how much are they prepared to accept in their life you know uh, were their expectations of having a child um all kind of bells and whistles and and we've got all these great plans and and which Obviously, a, a, mature, a mature person hopefully is, has grown well beyond that before they even come to the decision of having children, knowing that, you know, I often quote this to um, 
to to couples that are in a difficult situation. I say, look, 5% of kids that are born either at birth or within a few months will have a significant medical issue. And if you look across the Australian population, including adults, a massive proportion of us have a disability. But we never see these things. You know, they're, they're, no. they're largely hidden, buried by various cultural, interpersonal factors. And, and even as a doctor, often you're not cognizant of the reality of, of suffering out there in society. So mm. when you then enter, enter into this situation as a, as a couple or as, a, as an individual, uh, it's, a, it's a learning that no one can prepare you for. Um, right. And so it's understandable that people don't know what to say and certainly e- even health professionals in this situation are, are, can be amazingly unhelpful. And I know you've got lots of experience with that, Peter. I have to say that when one of the things that happened, and I, it's happened to us several times now in different specialists that we've come across, is that they hand us a list of what seemed to us to be a list of what's going to happen with your child. So here's the list of things that are going to happen with Albert now that he's been born with these congenital heart defect and, and Down syndrome and other complications. Now, he happened to have been born in the school community we were in at the time there were about four babies born the same year who had down syndrome Mm. and all of us got the same lists but out of all of the children albert had i think about four times as many complications as the other people in that particular small group and he still only had less than i think one twentieth of the things on the list they gave us so it was it just wasn't a realistic view they i think there was a bit of butt covering there in terms of just giving us all the potential things up front so that we had a, we were informed sort of thing but to be honest it was mostly scary because we just got this list of all these horrible things what they didn't tell us is the and they can't tell you is the feeling when you hear the first involuntary chuckle come out of your baby or when when you have that first sort of moment of uh, of joy when they make some tiny milestone that you would never have normally noticed, you know, those kinds of things. They can't bottle that, they can't put it on a piece of paper, and they can't tell you the kind of love that is w- awoken in you by that. And so I, I, I'm not convinced a medical person is, is the only consultant that should be there in those circumstances. No, I agree, but I've actually had a very, very good experience recently. I, sorry, I'll just say there's three things talking about things that are helpful to you, and one absolutely. I know, you, I know, you know this, Peter, but down, dead set, the the best thing I could ever hear is we're praying for you. Like that's fantastic, isn't it? Isn't it just you just yes. feel so buoyed up by knowing that someone really is keeping you, if you know they mean it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's other people who just fake brain. Well, no, 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 not so much <laughs> that. But, but you know, in the sense that they also, they also, if they were in a capacity to help you, know that you know they would in, in a practical right. way. Right. Yes. But that's number one. But I just want to move on to the two medical examples I have, and actually, one is not really particularly medical, but an, a very old friend of mine from medical school. We walk very, very different. We come from very different walks of life. We catch up about two or three times a year on the phone and I spoke to her for the first time after Louis was born when he was about two months old and she said, so I just started explaining all the things medically that were wrong with him and she said, stop, stop, can you just tell me the good things about him? Can you start with the good things? <laughs> and I said, well, he does a really good one-eyed eyebrow raise. One-eyed. Yeah, he does. He, he's really good at that. 
And we just started talking about silly things like that and it was the best thing ever, just the way that she had asked that and I was really grateful to her. And then I, the other thing I want to say, and I tell this to a lot of my medical friends now, a couple of months ago we were meeting because we've moved to a new city, we um, were meeting yet another paediatrician for Louis and um, I was explaining to her because she could wade through all the papers and the referrals and things, but I was just explaining to her genetically, you know, that he's it was what, it was what they call a compound heterozygote. So he's got one bad gene from Gabe and one bad gene from me, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know, talk about not meant to be together, right? And she said, or, or really meant to be together. And I just, I'm so not used to anything like that in the medical world. It's all about, you know, things should be prevented, you know, um, genetic problems should, where we know about them in order to prevent them from ever coming to the light. But she was just so affirming and she kind of just in one little comment validated my children's existence and I just thought she was the best. And that yeah. that that cult that's kind of a cultural point that I guess we we haven't spoken about but um you know we've got to do massive things to change our culture. And I know there's so many people out there that that want to and there there are some amazing examples but you know I heard recently that in the UK there's a a, a, a mother of a child with downs and a woman with down syndrome that want to take the government to court basically for uh, discrimination at various wow. levels. Yeah, yeah. Um, and there, there's been talk of a similar case in New Zealand. Um, and, and Downs is one small example, I, I guess, a very personal one for some of us. But the the, the culture, as much as we we believe we're, we're all for diversity, there's no question that uh, it, it, tr- true acceptance of all people is something that uh, is is really beyond what our culture currently is able to to take. I mean, it, it requires a a love of others that is is really rare. And, um, and that I think I guess- that's a good point there, Gabe. And and especially I want to pick up on that because really what this whole thing has revealed to me is that our culture has forgotten that having a child is an act of self sacrificing love in the first place. That it's not just an accessory to my, to to my very successful life when I've got my marriage, my home, my you know my boat, my whatever else that I now add a kid to this set, if you like. Mm. Uh, this is it changes your whole life. I mean, mm. children. A lot of comedians and a lot of commentators are making these comments about not having too many children because it upsets their lifestyle. And you go, well, yeah, absolutely, it does. Mm. It totally revolutionizes you as a human being, which brings me to my next point. How has being a parent changed you as a person? What sort of person has this experience made you? How has it changed you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm, uh, I actually, when, when we talked about doing this podcast, I guess my first thought was, I don't feel qualified to say anything about really being a parent in the sense of this is what you can learn from me. Uh, but in terms of <laughs> how, it's, how it's changed me, um, look, I, I guess the, the, the most important thing I can say is I'm a lot happier now as a parent than I was before I was a parent, despite the challenges. Um, the kids so, yeah, if, you, if you added up these circumstances, they wouldn't mm. be in your recipe for happiness, would they? If you'd said to me 10 years ago, look, you're going to have two kids with a disability and you'll lose another one. Um, there's no way I could have comprehended that. And I, I guess that's the nature of life and, and what God allows uh, 
in our lives and, and how we, we have to, to learn to grow through various situations. But, the, but it seems strange, Gabe, to use the word happiness in that context. Absolutely. Yeah. But but it's true. It's absolutely true. And um, mm. So what do you mean by happiness then? I mean, it, it, it's they're not circumstances which you would go, oh, whoopee. You know, mm. <laughs> what, how was is, how is happiness brought about by that? I mean, I, I guess I can say that there comes with difficulties in life, a situation or, or, or a moment when, when you have to either accept it for what it is and focus on the, 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 the positives in the situation or you, you carry on thinking, well, is me. And, and inevitably that's, that's not a recipe for happiness. And, and no. when, you, when you do choose a path of acceptance and, um, and I guess you, you grieve any losses or, or thoughts you might have had about what your life was going to be like, you then kind of free yourself of, I, got, I guess, a lot of unrealistic thoughts that we all have about what it means to be happy or what it means to be human or what it means to live in in this day and age. Um, you know, accepting that my oldest was never going to enjoy some of the sports I did or I'd never be able to, you know, potentially take him surfing or doing doing do the things that I like. You accept that and, and I move on to something else like, well, these are all the great things I could do with him. And um and that's a day to day decision obviously that um, you know, that that I I make and and certainly I see Jovi making all the time, making lots of sacrifices and but when when you when you when you make them and, and you see I guess how really we're still a happy family and still together. In some ways, it's much more powerful and much more. There's, I guess, a lot more happiness seeing that than perhaps, I guess, if we were all normal in inverted commas. Um, <laughs> in some ways, you know, it's it's a it's a, a difficult thing to explain, but but um, I yeah, it gives me a lot of joy a lot of days, you know, amidst the the, the challenging moments. Yeah, I'd have to say the happiest. Never thought I'd say anything like this as so saccharine as this, but um, <laughs> happiest part of my day is is if I go and walk, I push the double pram with the two little ones to go and pick up Max, and it's mostly downhill on the way back. So I sometimes take a scooter, and he will he can just coast down a little bit of an incline on the scooter. It is if there's an incline, if there's if he's trying to go up, then there's just no hope. But it's the only time in his life on when he's been able to get away from me. Like he's never been able to run away from me or be, you know, but he loves it. It's just, <laughs> and I love seeing the joy on his face when he realizes he can get away from mama has to run, run after him. And it's, it's awesome. And yeah, I know it sounds so trite, um, no, no. but that is my happiness. And in terms of how has this oh, changed me, I am not, what anyone ever would have described as a patient person before. I'm not saying I am a patient person now, <laughs> but I'm closer to it. Um, there are so many little things that have grown me and stretched me and carved away at me, but I think certainly my kids have grown my heart every step of the way, and I know that's true for every parent and it's such a joy and it's such an unexpected joy how you can feel, I think, it's, it's, you know, it lo- parental love is obviously unconditional. Mm. But it's not to say it's not painful as well. No. In fact, and, the pain reveals how intense it is, really. Yeah. 
So I'm grateful for that and I think I think I un- understand so much more of the father's love now and really trying to image that for my children. In in mm. some respects my children have dragged me kicking and screaming into some semblance of love. Um <laughs> that, that that I I'm actually I have to acknowledge I thought I was a good person until I had children and then I realized mm. That I'm actually quite a selfish person, and that I'd much rather lie in on a Saturday morning and just, you know, snooze out the most of the morning, and then get up for some coffee. But my kids come and bounce on my bed and remind me it's time to love, and mm. it's no, not convenient, and it's not, it's not easy, and it's not. Um, and their 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 cuteness is a kind of a weapon that God uses um, to, to drag us kicking and screaming into some sort of semblance of His love, um, mm. His 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 joy in us. Um, and it's only in that that I've understood the kind of, the, the I mean, God doesn't feel pain in the way that we do, but the kind of angst and genuine, complete love that God has for us as we bumble around messing things up and not getting to where he'd like us to be and all those kinds of things. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's probably uh, enough for this particular podcast. If today's discussion got you thinking, arguing with your podcast device, let us know. You can subscribe to the podcast at thiscatholiclife.com.au. Tell us what you liked, what you didn't like, what what or who you would like us to discuss in the future by dropping us a line at info at thiscatholiclife.com.au. Or you can join us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook or Discord or any of the usual social medias. Write us a review and recommend us to your friends. Remember that this is a uniquely Australian Catholic podcast. We think that's an idea worth getting behind. So tell your friends. Before we go, we normally do a shout out. So uh, do you have a shout out to someone? You think I'd be ready. <laughs> <laughs> Especially given you're a, almost a devotee of this podcast. I know. Right? I knew this was coming. And I don't have a shout out. <laughs> okay. I, well, I just have to shout out to all the family and friends that have supported us over the years. You know who you are. You check in on us. Some of you come up and visit us for, for lengths at a time, just to the right time. We're just so grateful and I don't know how we would have survived without all of your love and and, and love. I guess my shout-out has to go to um, parents-to-be or, or new parents who you know, we know lots of. We're, we're very happy to be in a community of people that are accepting of, of um, the beauty of children and they uh it's it's wonderful to see that unfolding in other people um i'm very i i almost have a a point of not offering advice because um i guess part of me wants just to see how how things go with with yep. um, with them and uh i am always what you know just amazed by the, the beautiful things that unfold in in families um and so, yeah, I can think of a few specific names. I won't embarrass them, but um, yeah, shout out to them. Excellent. I'm going to throw my shout out for this episode to those people who have been generous uh, in their time and in their experience. So I've always noticed that people with more children, more people in their house could stretch the walls further than those with less in their house. But it's also true of people who've who've suffered the most also seem to be able to their hearts have been stretched and they seem to be able to stretch even further to help those who are in need in similar need i want to say thank you to those people who had shared their experiences with me and susie along the way and that that made such a difference to us at the crucial time so shout out to you that's all for now thank you for listening to this catholic life